Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yep, sure is. How are you? Oh, busy, busy, busy. How are you? Okay, it's Thursday. Mm -hmm. We normally record on Sunday, but I won't be available on Sunday, so we're recording this early. Okay, glad you're telling that, uh, clarifying that for the people. Yeah. And... Well, just in the event that something major happens between now and Sunday. Like, such I as? I don't know. Like, someone dies or... It would explain why it's not included, maybe. Okay. Because I like to stay very current. I mean, like a celebrity. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Very cryptic. Very morbid. Um, so first I wanted to say... Um, we continue to get people who sponsor the podcast, which is very generous. Yes. Especially because we haven't asked. So that's very nice. Mm -hmm. So thank you to those people. If people want to do that, they can do it on Anchor. I agree. Thank you to these people. Um, it's not my, my business associate hasn't shared uh, 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 numbers with me, so I, I don't know how... Uh... But if... Yeah, people can give like 99 cents a month. So, you know, if people, if the spirit moves them, or if you don't go to church, so you feel like you need to give your 10% tithes to someone, you can certainly give them to us. Also, for YouTube, people are hitting the thanks button, which I say at the end of every episode. You sure do. That money goes to us. Um, but something, so thank you to the people who do that. But also, I don't know if people realize that when they do that, there's a generic message that says thanks, uh -huh. but you can change that message. Who can? The person giving the money. Okay. So I think, I'm, I'm not implying that I only respond to comments where people gave us money, but we get a lot of comments now, so I can't read them all. But I always read the ones that have money attached. So oh I'm just saying, I'm just, so I'm just saying that if people do decide to hit the thanks button, I would use that opportunity to, you know, say more than thanks if you'd like, because I will certainly see those questions. I miss other ones, but I can filter the thanks questions, which are fewer. So it's very, so I always read those. And I, you know, I've noticed some people will do thanks and then make a separate comment with a question, but they're not in the same like batch. So I might miss the actual question, but see the, money they gave so i would hate to miss a question from someone who actually gave money for the question uh -huh. if that was their intention so you can definitely adjust the generic comment and leave as long of a comment as you want but the overall message was to remind myself to say thank you because it's very well because it's very generous and i i think because we don't ever ask for money it does it's not on my mind to ever yes, talk about it yes. but and and thank you from from myself as well but every month when i see like a statement it's like oh yes i keep forgetting to say thank you uh moving on talking about i was gonna bring up like us talking about race and homophobia and other things of that nature okay and just what what uh I think just like the importance of it, but oh, then yes. also not wanting to seem like that's the only thing we want to talk about or, you know, people will say like, why is it always about race? And, but I think sometimes it is about race and I listen to other 
you know, I'm not the most educated person. I don't know everything. I try not to speak about things that I'm super ignorant about, although clearly <laughs> I say a lot of dumb shit. But I listen to other... There are a couple of podcasts I listen to featuring homosexuals, uh, some who talk about movies, others who just talk about whatever. And they seem so afraid to ever talk about the obvious issues in yes. front of them. And I don't want to be that person. But then I don't know if some people who listen to us or watch the videos are expecting like that very sort of, I don't want to use the word basic, but like that approach that's very blind to obvious things. Like they're, they're afraid to even call people black or Asian. Like, like they're just so afraid to say anything. And I guess that's not me. It's obviously not you. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, maybe we might say things that are a little more than people would want to hear or, but I think it comes from a place of not wanting to shy away from real issues that if we don't talk about, they're not going to change. Right. And maybe some people don't like, aren't aware of certain things or, or how, or certain, how certain people feel about things. Well, you know, everyone, everyone has their own perspective, their own, their own specific perspective. So to me, the point of listening to or reading someone whose opinions or, uh, critiques that you like, you know, you're interested in, in their perspective as well. That's, that's specific to them and everyone has their own lens. Uh, and, you know, we have been conditioned to think, in a certain like we've categorically been assigned to think a certain way about many things and i think it's refreshing it of course i hear things that i don't like to hear the first time either but every now and then it's like well what that person's saying is also true and that's a different way to look at it and there's nothing wrong with that and yes some people are gung ho and uh you know to be politically correct for politically correct sake is I, I, not an avenue i a stance that I employ either, but... Well, I wouldn't even call it politically correct. I think some people are just, like, uninterested or afraid about talking about... Well, it could be because of, you know, cancel... Be, that, you know, what what's being canceled, and... I mean, I could see some people having a huge platform and being afraid, right? If I were, I mean, I don't know, some A-list person, I, I, I would be very, very careful. But we're talking about people who are, like, you know... You know, again, you're not rich and famous off of your opinions. So it's like, why? Like, you're still afraid to give your opinion. It makes me think that in, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's very integrous to turn a blind eye to something that you're choosing to talk about. Well, that's, that's whitewashing. It's one thing to avoid conversation because you just like a lot of things I don't talk about, like in the news because I'm just ignorant to it. But it's one thing to talk about like. I don't know. I mean, people will watch movies with that obviously contain like, like let's just say issues of race. Mm -hmm. And then, like I listened to these two gay white guys talk about Get Out and they didn't talk about race at all, really. They made it seem like it was just like a straight up horror film. And I'm like, okay, come on. Well, you have to talk about the subtext in that film. I mean, but it, I mean, it's not even like subtext. I mean, it's just like no. it slaps you across the face that this is what's happening and, and then they don't say anything that's what i'm talking about but then i also think yeah i would rather be a broken record talking about the issues i see than to just pretend like it's not weird or strange 
And my approach tends to be more like try to be kind of like humorous about it or like not too serious. Like, oh, we can talk. And if you like, I'm not going to jump down someone's throat because they don't know something. Conversely, I appreciate when people like will comment on things I said that maybe were incorrect or, or, or maybe that they didn't appreciate. Um, because then it's like, that's how I learn and that's how I can become more sensitive to, and this is not a conversation we're having because something happened. I'm just, Oh, I was going to, I was assuming it was because of a heated discussion you and I had. After. Well, yes, between the two of us, but like, I'm not saying like, this is not related to like a specific comment, oh, okay. comment someone left. I just, you know, I think a lot of times we like specifically with the movie Ticket to Paradise. Yeah, and you made a comment about like white privilege, and I don't disagree per se, but in that film, I thought I I I, I didn't know if that needed to be thrown on that movie when it's really just about. I just thought it was bad writing. It is, but we've come to accept that that's the case coming from certain people as well too that or that and that that's acceptable or that this is a poor uh, vision this is this is a reality that we're supposed to one celebrate or to or accept i agree with that that i think that this presentation of a reality that most of us don't enjoy seems very um i mean it, it just seems very like uh tone deaf to me but i don't know that i thought it was about white privilege as much as just like um like class issues. I mean, these movies that get released and then you expect the average American to go spend $18 to see something that they cannot relate to. That's not well written. It's not funny. It's not taking you anywhere. Like Ticket to Paradise. I think that's the crime more than anything. Right. Is that whoever wrote this is living in another stratosphere and thinks that this is like something that people are going to relate to because it has George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Right. And and but you know that I think that feeds not being able to talk about at least what I saw as a very a film that's you know depicting white privilege uh, is uh, also is a slippery slope into like well that's just not the kind of film that deserves criticism and. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes when it's always like everything is like, you know, like someone like you will talk about white privilege, white privilege, like always, always. It kind of takes some of the. I don't want to sound like a broken record. And I don't want people to dismiss me as like, well, he's always going to make it about race or he always has a problem with this or a problem with that. Then it just doesn't have the same impact. And I think a movie like Ticket to Paradise is probably like one of those like choose your battles. And I don't think it's incorrect what you're saying. I just didn't think that that film, that film had enough problems that we didn't need to drag that into it to demonstrate that it's just a poorly done film that was tone deaf and... Sure. But we can move on from this topic. I was reading that Anna Ferris years ago had said that she was like sexually harassed on a film and then recently she was on a podcast. I think it was Lena Dunham's podcast. And she talked about the movie that it was. Oh. I think it was a movie called... I also... For some reason, it stuck in my head that her name is pronounced Anna. Oh, it's Anna Ferris? (laughs) Excuse me. The movie she was talking about was something called Super Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, uh, that's an Ivan Reitman film with uh, Luke Wilson and Uma Thurman. And the person she was talking about was Ivan Reitman. Ooh. She... 
says that I'm just going to read so I don't mess it up. She says, I was doing a scene where I was on a ladder and I was supposed to be taking books off of a shelf and he slapped my ass in front of the crew so hard and all I could do was giggle. Um, and then she talks about, she says, I remember that same director telling my agent who told me that I had great legs and that was one of the reasons that I got hired. Wow. So... You know, I mean... Well, he's dead now, but... Uh, oh, that man's dead? Yeah. Oh, so maybe that's why she well, felt comfortable? Well, he's I the, don't know. He's the director of Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. Where Bill Murray is currently undergoing a, a reconsideration as well. Well, I mean, I definitely don't not believe what she's saying. I mean, of, of course There's not. no reason for her to lie about it. and or, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, And I can appreciate why she didn't say anything because... He's well, a big. He's a probably a powerful person. I'm assuming. Yes, and that, what, what year was that? 2004. So she's still. So she was still not coming up. You know. Yeah. So I can appreciate why she probably kept her mouth shut, but it's just such a bummer. Like, and unfortunately, speaking of being desensitized to constant criticism, it's unfortunate that like I'm not surprised. I don't know Ivan Reitman. Like I don't hold him in any, with any respect anyway. Like I, you know what I mean. Like it's not difficult for me to believe that he behaved this way. Um, well, because just as a man in Hollywood with power. Yep, like, and a culture that surrounds it. And nobody, even if they don't agree with what he's doing, won't say anything. Again, like how we referenced last week, Gina Davis's memoirs about yep. being screamed at by Bill Murray and nobody saying like, uh, Bill, why don't you shut the fuck up? Yeah. It just makes me sad to think that. I mean, imagine if that happened at your job and you, well, not your job or mine, because we would actually, I'd be like, cha-ching. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody better call her out attorney. Here, but, let me let me turn the other cheek so uh, for the yeah. Why don't you hit the other cheek yeah. so I can get uh, to four point four billion? Um, moving on, do you know who Andy Dick is? Of course. Can you think of like what has he done? Uh, I, I can picture his face, and I've seen him at the gay bar many many years ago, multiple times. But I don't know what I know would know him from. Um. Except that he's a mess. He's a mess. Wasn't he on some kind of television? Uh, he, if you pull up his IMDb, I'm sure that there's a lot. But I, for anyway. some reason, my mind goes to like 1998. Anyway, he's in jail right now because he was squatting in a house in Santa Barbara. Oh, no. And got caught stealing like power tools from the garage of this house. No. So he's in jail right now. And he's being, uh, he has a public defender, so I'm assuming can't afford. Oh. And then recently on his, uh, like one of, like on an Instagram account of his that isn't his primary one, he was posting pictures of his house, which is like, it has a beautiful view wherever it is, but the house is like dilapidated. And then six months ago, he was arrested for like lewd conduct at an RV park in Orange County where he was staying. So it sounds like that man needs some help. He's got all kinds of... It looks like he's been working a lot. Well, maybe mm. he and Ezra Miller can... Oh, poor Ezra Miller. ...get together and just, figure out how to help each other. I just, don't know. Just, they need to stop. Okay, there are some, some questions. Uh, why do we hate Chris Pratt? I never said I hated Chris Pratt. I know we reviewed one movie, two movies of his. One was that one where, like, the Future Soldier or something. The Tomorrow War. The Tomorrow War. It was just a terrible movie. And then Jurassic, the whatever Jurassic Park movie we reviewed, I mean, he was just, his role in the movie was pointless to the story. But I, what I think people are getting at, and I'm not going to step into this trap, is that, 
like because of his religious beliefs or <laughs> apparently he was part of a church that's homophobic but then i know he said like that was not something that he believed in and he's he i, I want to say i read that he said that that's not what he believes and also the church he goes to they don't say that so i'm not gonna let someone hit me up saying that i don't like him for his personal beliefs i don't know that man i know that he left and speaking of Anna Ferris, wasn't that his yeah, wife? Yep. Again, that's none of my business. Um, you know, people's re relationships. Isn't he with the Schwarzenegger woman? I guess. I just, pro probably why I think I roll my eyes about Chris Pratt is I thought on Parks and Rec, he was really good because he kind of played like. Oh, he's dumpy. Dumpy, but but it, it worked for him. And I felt like he seemed like a, like a real person. And then it's like, oh, clearly they got his ass on some meal plan and a fitness trainer. And now he's supposed to be like this action star. But when I look at him, I don't see, I don't know. He just seems very like he's not suited for this, um, profile they've made for him. Sure. So that's why I kind of feel like I don't really enjoy him anymore. But yeah, I don't hate Chris. Pratt. I don't hate, I don't hate, I don't, I I wouldn't not watch a movie because he's in it, but if it's like an action movie where he's the star, I probably wouldn't be I excited to well, see it. Well, I couldn't it. sell you on watching The Terminal List ahead of time, which I've heard is not good, but... Yeah, he wouldn't get me in a, like an action movie. Okay, um, what, so I'm just going to read the question. So this was regarding... There's a YouTube channel called Jamari, this, this person who I um, will be honest was not familiar with, but... Um, this person has a million subscribers, gets a lot of views, and mm -hmm. he recently made a video about Billy Eichner and basically like how bros flopped in his opinion of like Billy Eichner's. He's basically doing like oh, what sorry. Charlemagne the God used to do with Donkey of the Day. In that but yeah, it, basically Jamari is doing like Donkey of the Day. So I have been watching some of his videos. I... I kind of like his vibe. I don't necessarily agree with everything, but we're also very different. He, he seems like a, he seems younger than I am and he seems heterosexual. So, you know, we're from very different worlds, but I don't, I mean, I was buying into a lot of what he was saying. But anyway, with the Billy Eichner video, it's a five minute video and he uses like one minute of our bros review mm -hmm. in the video of us talking as like an example of like, He's basically talking about the marketing of bros and why it flopped mm -hmm. and that making this assumption that gays were just like he, he was saying, like, why would straight guys want to watch this movie? And then it seems like even a lot of gay people had an issue with it because they didn't go either. Mm -hmm. And then that's when he plays like a minute worth of you and I talking. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling that story to say that someone wrote a comment to us saying, doesn't this create to us about us acknowledging Jamar. Oh, I saw this comment. Doesn't this create a slippery slope whereby people will weaponize LGBTQIA's rejection of this movie to excuse homophobic rejection of future LGBTQIA films regardless of their quality? I could see why that could be an argument, but I think the what I took from this question is like, so I shouldn't criticize a movie that features gay people right. or black people because I'm gay and black that because somehow that hurts the cause but then it's like well what integrity would i have if i'm being fake that slippery slope goes both ways and i think the only thing that any of us can 
if for, for, to say for yourself is that your opinion is authentic and here's your your defense of your opinion also i think that attitude minimizes queer people people of color by saying that we can't produce content that can rise above yes that sort of criticism I, I agree and i don't i'm not there's no point in handling something with kid gloves we have to be honest about even if my opinion is you know out in left field but it's my opinion and um, i was reading the comments um so on jamari's video which has hundreds of thousands of views i was reading comments people were writing and many people cited i mean a lot of the comments are from like dudes talking about like why would why would this person think i'd want to watch gay shit so a lot of the comments i didn't love but a lot of comments were about like citing Moonlight as an example mm-hmm. of how to make a film. Well, Jamari does in his video. And he, he does as yeah. well. But a lot of the comments were about Moonlight and how to make a film that features the, you know, queerness. And of course, is, has a predominantly black cast. And really the emphasis was on quality and selling the movie for what it is and not just saying, well, it's gay, so you got to watch it. Well, why would I watch a movie? Well, yeah. It, it, and yeah, the marketing of that film had nothing... You don't know that just looking at the poster, for right. instance. And I think, you know, part of Bro's problem is what kind of happened to Ellen DeGeneres' show in the 90s when she came out and then it was all about the agenda. It seemed like there was an agenda because it's all about her being a lesbian. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's, it's part of your identity. It isn't the identity. And I guess if you're looking for box office glory, I don't think that the marketing for that film was the way to go. Absolutely not. But, yeah, I, I, I was giving my honest opinion about a movie I saw at a time when many people had not seen it and dealt with a lot of really negative comments about it. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the movie was released and people didn't see it <laughs> but the ones who did and then the fact that it flopped then all of a sudden the comments were like oh yeah this movie's not great mm-hmm. so and then the guilt and shame the, the shaming that uh billy eichner's trying to produce with his you know bratty reactions is, is another problem altogether i think, I think like, if anything we should be focusing this energy about uh weaponizing the, the the rejection of LGBTQIA people, we should be directing that towards Billy Eichner. He's giving the community a bad name. Yeah. Not someone like me saying that I didn't like the shit and, you know, again, getting back to the race issue and then seeing this privileged white guy throw a tantrum. But, you know... The, someone needs to get his ass together. The reactions that, you know, because the few people that we talked to the weekend that opened, they're like, oh, because, of course, you know, amongst the gays, oh, have you seen bros yet? And the reaction... You know, because we saw it ahead of time. Well, I didn't like it. Was always met with like, "Well, you have to support the gays," uh, is what I heard from all around. And then, and then I had an awkward interaction out at a bar where I met. Should I say who? <laughs> you met someone who worked. On I the met film. someone who worked on the film, and the people that were with him like tricked me into giving my opinion, which I'm I'm going to be truthful and honest. I'm like, well, I really didn't like that film. And then, and then they go, "Well, he edited it, and he was so stank about me." But. <laughs> Well, now you just said who you were talking about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you know. Well, too late now. Whatever, sir. Say their names, though. <laughs> Drag him. As Bob and Monet would say. I, But it's, you know, and I, whatever. It is what it is. And that's the other thing. Don't approach me and then think that I'm going to. But no, just we couldn't even get on the, because they were like, oh, well, come stay and hang out with us. I'm like, well, no, because clearly this person is not over my honest opinion. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah, we, you, can't, you can't get over it. So it's like, well, I guess I'll go stand alone in the corner then. But um, Okay, moving on to something a little lighter. Someone asked, well, actually more than one comment because I talked about it quite a bit last week because we released quite a few videos about Cheesecake Factory and why I love the Cheesecake Factory. Uh-huh. But do you like the Cheesecake Factory? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know you like chicken piccata. Chicken piccata. But we don't eat there as much as one would think based on how much I love the Cheesecake Factory. I do really like it. It's, you know, probably partially nostalgia as well, but... Um, well, for... So, for four and a half years, we lived closer to the Redondo Beach mm-hmm. Cheesecake Factory, which the parking situation there... That one's not as fun. And it's not as fun. I mean, it, it you can sit right by the water, but it has a very different vibe that yes. just doesn't feel like the Cheesecake Factory I'm used to. The one at the Grove... I like better for sure. Sure. Although that one's changed over the years, but now that we live closer to the Grove, um, we have gone quite a bit. Yeah. Because whenever we see a movie at the Grove, we go eat there. Yeah, there are a lot of press screenings that happen there. Yeah. So, but that, including yesterday. I think the reason I love the Cheesecake Factory is because when I was in college in Las Vegas. There was a Cheesecake Factory at the Forum Shops, which is the shopping mall at Caesars Palace. That's still there. And it's still there. And it was right next to the Virgin Megastore, which is long since closed. And we're talking about the 90s. But I remember my favorite thing to do would be to go like on a like an afternoon because I wouldn't work. You know, it would be like a random like Wednesday afternoon. I don't have to work or evening. And I would go to the Virgin Megastore. And you know how they would have all the... And maybe you don't know, but they used to have all the stations where you could listen to yeah, me. Yeah, I, okay. I remember. So I would do that, and then I would go eat at the Cheesecake Factory. And I didn't have much money back then, so it would be like a treat for me to go mm-hmm. and get my little... Um, I'd usually get like the chicken and biscuits, which was a huge plate, and then take half to go. Um, so I think I just associated that with... I thought that that restaurant was so cool, and mm-hmm. to me back then, being 18, 19, 20, not having any money... It was like a big, big treat. And the restaurant itself back then, because, you know, it's also next to that show, um, like the Atlanta. With the water. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. There, it's like an animatronic, shitty, cheesy-ass show that has since been updated. But, you know, you're, you're, you're there, and so it would, like, be a big commotion. I don't know. It was my first glimpse of... It was a very pivotal time for me before I started working in the casino. Mm-hmm. And then when I started having money and doing fancier things i stopped i didn't stop going but the impact of going there but you know like when you're a kid the things that oh yeah it's just like how french market in west hollywood that closed down was also kind of like that well that was also the same period of time for Mm -hmm. me when we would drive from vegas to la and we would go out and stay the night every sunday morning we would go to french quarter market but yeah i mean i think i just associate like a very happy time in my life Mm -hmm. with the Cheesecake Factory, so now I just like it. And, and the menu is very extensive. I, yeah, I like choices. I like sauces. Yeah. I will say, though, um, you know, I don't love everything on the menu. Of course not. And, it, you know, the prices have gone up quite a bit for what it is. Because we ate there yesterday, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And what I got, I was not... I didn't love it. Did You got, like, a spicy shrimp pasta. Did you a, like that? I did. Oh, I did. good. Well, I, I'm conflicted about shrimp. I like shrimp, <laughs> uh, but most times... I'm I, conflicted about shrimp. Okay. <laughs> but uh, a lot of times I'll get it and I'm like, oh, this was not what I wanted. Um, 
In yeah, it, I don't know the last time you had shrimp where you were like, this was amazing. Yeah. It's lobster is a little easier, a little harder. It, yeah, I think just how shrimp is. If anyone can recommend a really good restaurant in LA that has like amazing shrimp, because you like jumbo shrimp. Oh yeah. So maybe that's what we need to I, get you. Is I jumbo like shrimp. I like all forms of shrimp. Well, don't say that. No, I do. Not, really? Not raw shrimp, but yeah, I like all. You shrimp. eat like shrimp cocktails? Oh hell yeah! Oh no! Oh yes, cocktail sauce. Oh, and there's all kinds of like mayonnaise-based sauces you can put. Yeah. That okay. <laughs> Yes, anyway. that's one of the white. I do like mayonnaise, and I am white, but uh, it's just in my DNA. I can't. Okay, the last one was, someone worded a question very interestingly, and I don't know if they mixed up our names, but I recognize the person who left the comment, and they were, leave a lot of comments, so I, I can't imagine they would mix up our names. So I just kind of reworded the question in a way that it made sense to me. But basically, the gist of the question is two questions. How do you deal with my memory issues, which they associate with me talking over you? So I guess it's two questions then, and maybe you would link them together. But how do you deal with my memory issues? And my issues is that I have memory loss issues, like I can't remember anything. And then the fact that I talk over you so much. How do I handle it? I don't know. I guess 14 years together, I'm used to it. But I, I think you've gotten better at uh, recognizing when you do. Do what? talk over me okay but uh yeah i don't know there's no way you just there's nothing to do like i can't i can't give you memory exercises um i just have to remember for both of us but mm. you know there's nothing you can do it just you can't force someone to remember no you can't and then if the question was directed towards me you know i i do try like for work I kind of have a system because my job requires that I do a lot of things and like big projects that take a year, two years to execute. So obviously there needs to be like project management. And of course there are platforms that assist with that. So that helps. And then day to day tasks, I tend to make like daily sort of lists for work. And then when it comes to email, I tend to, I have a system with my emails where I'll leave things unread and put them in categories to remind myself that I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Sometimes that list gets very long. Yeah, I think I have to remember to remind you a lot. Yeah, but I forget things that are important. It's not just like little things. It's like major, major things that need to happen and I'll totally forget. Mm -hmm. I mean, my credit was fucked up for many years because I couldn't remember this was before, you know, smartphones and mm -hmm. it was strictly like I could not remember. And this is at a time when I had money, like mm -hmm. handfuls of money, like all the time. And I would forget to make my car payment to the point where I would get like the certified letters saying they're going to come get it. Mm -hmm. And then I would be like, oh, I have all that money in my pocket right now. Like, I'll just go pay it. So thankfully with technology, things are a little better. We don't have anything in the sorry to this man section. Uh, I'm sure there's something that we didn't catch. Oh, wow. I, I'm, I'm... Uh, films released we didn't cover. The Good Nurse. Uh, yes, although we'll probably cover that when you get back because I know you're interested in it. And it, Netflix released it theatrically on when, this past Wednesday and then it'll come out on Netflix, I think, the day you return. I said I'm interested in it? Yeah, with Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne. 
Oh, about the nurse who killed all those people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would watch that. Directed by Danish filmmaker Tobias Lindholm, who I, I recommend his previous films such as R and A War and A Hijacking. He also wrote another round. He, he's quite friendly with Thomas Vinterberg. A movie called All That Breathes? Uh, this one awards out of Sundance and Cannes, a documentary about two brothers who look after a bird called a black kite, which everybody seems to be raving about. Uh, which I am interested in, but... A movie called Argentina 1985. Santiago Mitra's latest film, which I reviewed out of Venice for Ion Cinema, which I was quite cool on. It's a very procedural feeling courtroom docudrama about a very important uh, trial about war crimes uh, in the, the country and year that it's set in. But I feel like they leave out so many kind of important things about what was happening in Argentina under a military dictatorship. But there we are. It has uh, Ricardo Darren in it, who's, of course, an excellent actor. There are a lot of things you like. It's just going to hit every beat that you know it will. Descendant. I asked if you wanted to review this, and I'm still interested in watching it. It's a documentary directed by Margaret Brown uh, about the descendants of the last slave ship uh, to cross over the Atlantic called the Clotilda, which of course it does not sound entertaining in the least, but, um, you know, it could be good. <laughs> the Pez Outlaw. Another documentary directed by Amy Bandley. And Shout out to my sister's dog named Pez. Oh, Pez. Pez is cute. Amy Bandley and Storkel and Brian Storkel, uh, about, it sounds like a very bizarre tale about these two Pez smugglers. Uh, like the candy? Like the thing, those toys that you put the candy in. Oh, okay. So in it really candy. is about Pez. Yes, okay. it really is. Um, it's Again, if I had all the time in the world, I would have watched it. Uh, we also missed out on this. Uh, Raymond and Ray, new film by Rodrigo Garcia, starring Ethan Hawke and Ian McGregor as brothers. Uh, Rodrigo Garcia, I haven't really loved in a while, but I, I still liked his first two films with the, that had like a starry ensemble of a lot of uh, female actors that I liked a lot, such as things you can tell just by looking at her and Nine Lives. Uh, something called Raymond and Ray. I just talked about that. Oops. Like it just got done out of my mouth. The Return of Tanya Tucker. Uh, I asked you if you wanted to watch this uh, Tanya Tucker documentary featuring Brandy Carlisle. No. Slashback. Uh, interesting sounding film about alien invasion I think uh, Canadian production directed by Nyla Inuksuk lastly Wendell and Wild. I would still be interested in watching it it's a new animated film by Henry Selleck who uh, directed Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline uh, was it Coraline with Terry Hatcher as I'm your other mother silly um, Jordan Peele co-wrote it who also does a voice as does Keegan-Michael Key alright uh, so Oh, we did watch... Well, you watched the movie for fun, Heartstone. It wasn't really for fun. I did two interviews this week for foreign language Oscar submission films, as I do every year. So I did Iceland. I, I interviewed uh, Gudmundur Arnar Gudmundsson uh, because his new film, Beautiful Beings, is Iceland submission. And in preparation, I rewatched his first, first film, Heartstone. And that's all I had time for, like, extra stuff. All right, projects of interest. For the victory. Uh, Valentin Vasyanovich, uh, Ukrainian film director known for Atlantis and Reflection, which I really liked and saw in Venice uh, two years ago now. Uh, he's developing a new project somehow, I don't know, in Kiev uh, with that title. Phenomena sequel. Uh, and more Dario Argento use, uh, news, this uh, 
debunked, uh, well, defunct, sorry, Italian studio is resurrecting itself and they're going to make a sequel to his 1985 film, Phenomena. The Disappearance? Uh, Russian director Kirill Serebrennikov, uh, he is, he, he, he filmed, he had Tchaikovsky's Wife at Cannes this year, which I overall liked, I guess. Uh, he filmed another movie since then called Limanov, starring Ben Washaw. I have that book. I still need to read it, which I'm sure will be a can next year. And then he's de- developing a project about Joseph Mengele, uh, starring August Deal, which of course, you know, Mengele is a terrifying but interesting figure. Do you know, there's an Argentinian filmmaker named Marco Berge, Berge Bergi, I don't know. Do you know who that is? I don't know. I just saw a trailer for an upcoming movie called Los Editores, which uh, the English title is Horseplay. And it's about a group of like Argentinian guys. They're like, maybe like, I don't know, probably like 30, very attractive. And it's kind of like about toxic masculinity. But the trailer was very, it made me very anxious and very tense, like, because clearly there's probably like a gay one in the group, Mm -hmm. but like the way they're all sort of talking about each other and doing that thing where... Oh, Marco... Anyway, I would... Marco Berger? Marco Berger, I don't know. I'm assuming it's Berge, but I would uh, like to watch that movie. Um, I, for some reason... It slipped through my fingers several times, but his one of his last films, The Blonde One, in 2019, I had always meant to watch and never did. So, yes, I have heard of him. Oh, okay. Well, if that uh, comes across as something we can watch, I would definitely do it. Okay. Uh, thankfully, there are no entries in the obituary section. All right. So, this... We're recording this kind of, like, last minute, even though I knew I wasn't going to be available. Well, it's not... I was thinking maybe we just don't have a podcast for for this week, but then I didn't want to do that. So I didn't want to do that to you. Yeah, I think people deserve it. So, <laughs> so it was my time to choose, and I thought, oh, like we are still doing Halloween themed things, and the number one movie on Netflix yesterday was The Curse of Bridge Hollow. Directed by... Jeff Wadlow, who had your least favorite film of two years ago with Fantasy Island. Ugh. I didn't realize that. However, we I watched the trailer, or I think... I don't know. I did not expect this movie to be good. And it wasn't. It stars Marlon Wayans and Kelly Rowland. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids from Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, what's your name? Uh, Priya Ferguson. But the... Ugh. This will definitely be in my top 10 worst films. This was garbage, and it was really hard to sit through. Again, I I really didn't like Hocus Pocus 2. I would much rather watch that again. And I know I keep saying that. I I should just read read the synopsis. A teenage girl who accidentally releases an ancient and mischievous spirit on Halloween, which causes decorations to come alive and wreak havoc must team up with the last person she'd want in order to save their town, her father. Man. So Marlon Wayans and Kelly Rowland are a married couple, and they have this daughter, played by Priya. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to be mean, which you don't when you start by saying that. (laughs) But that little girl looks older than Kelly Rowland. (laughs) 
I'm just going to say it. She does. She has an old spirit. Tell me she doesn't. She has an old spirit. I'm not saying she doesn't. That little girl looks elderly. And, uh, but Kelly Rowland's also giving me stepmom vibes. And then, it, yeah, Kelly Rowland does not look like she'd be this girl's mom or be married to Marlon Wayans. Um, they have moved from the big city and from like, a, it makes it sound like they lived in an apartment in the big city. in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn to this beautiful classic looking house in um, Bridge Hollow. <laughs> And immediately we see that everyone makes a big deal out of Halloween. All the houses have a ton of Halloween decorations. And this story revolves around Stingy Jack, which is like the 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 story of how the jack-o'-lantern came to be. Mm-hmm. And he, the Stingy Jack, this like evil spirit, has been put into like this jack-o'-lantern. And he gets released because the daughter, Priya, lights it. Mm-hmm. So now all of the decorations in town come to life. So zombies, blah, blah, blah. And if they don't send Stingy Jack back to hell or wherever by midnight, he will live forever on Earth. And in order to do that, they have to cast a spell. So they have to go get the book that so the, the, has the same spell that the last lady cast on him, Madame Hawthorne, who played by Nia Vardalos. From my big fat Greek wedding, who had nothing to do. And Connie and Carla. And Connie and Carla. This shit, first of all, it's TV 14. So, because at first I'm like, meaning the rating is TV 14, because at first I thought, oh, this is for families. Mm -hmm. But this does not feel like a family film. It has adult language. So, it's for like teenagers and adults. It's not funny. Not even remotely funny. No. And there are maybe a handful of jokes and they don't land. No. It's not scary. Definitely not. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't... I, you could tell from the screenshot that it would be scary. <laughs> so, like, wh- what is the purpose? What can I say that's good about it? It does look okay. Like, the special effects are better than a lot of things we see. So there is that. Sure. But there is nothing to this movie. I don't even know what to say about it. it um, you could... I, you might as well program, like, a video game to act. Because no one seems remote, remotely human. This is, like eating the cardboard under a frozen pizza kind of movie. Let me just go through my notes. When Marlon and his family get to town, his neighbor is played by... Rob Riggle. Who I know from something. Oh, God, he's an awesome. He's like a lot of like adult comedies, I think. Um, he Rob Riggle. Uh, oh, the, the hangover, hangover films. He's the cop, yeah. Yeah. The neighbor has a bunch of Halloween decorations, like a bunch of zombies that actually look like he put a lot of work into it. And Marlon is meeting his neighbor for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's just being like, nope, I don't like Halloween. I think decorations are stupid. It's like, wow, you know how to make a good first impression. Then I'm so disappointed because Marlon Wayans is a funny guy. Like he's been in a lot of movies where he really does know like about comedic timing. I've seen him do stand up. The more recent stand up I've seen him do, I did not think was funny. I think maybe he just hasn't used that muscle enough. Mm-hmm. But some of his jokes that are like, again, talking about race. Like like these race based jokes about you know you can't scare a black man or or jump out for like just all this shit that feels so like twenty five years ago. Mm-hmm. It feels like shit that maybe would have been funny on in Living Color in the nineties. It just feels so played out. Then Kelly Rowland, who I like, is beautiful, is a yeah. very talented performer. Just I knew instantly like if she's in it, she can't be funny. So and, she and she's could not. be. She's funny in bad hair. 
Well, but she's playing like a diva. Sure. And she is funny in that because she's playing a diva. I, I think she's playing a version of like a crazy Janet Jackson, yeah. actually. So that's why I liked it. The, the joke with her character is that she is very healthy because she, I mean, she looks like she would be. And so she wants to start a bakery and everything she makes is like sugar-free, gluten-free, dairy-free. And so all of it tastes disgusting. But the problem is everything... Oh, yeah, she wants to start like an artisanal vegan baked goods shop. Mm -hmm. Everything she makes looks like it's professional. Yes. Like you would buy it from like Magnolia Bakery. Mm -hmm. So how is it that a woman who can make stuff that looks beyond professional... And looks like she does. And looks how like how she looks... Would not recognize that this shit is disgusting. Everyone who eats it is like, gag me with a spoon. Yeah, it's the, she'd have to be brain dead. And then so, also, and so also then you, the joke is not there. No, it's not there. And then your wife, your wife, your husband and daughter are continually casting aspersions on your baking abilities. Then no, what's not going to happen is this. The only thing in the movie that I thought worked is the actor who plays the mayor. I recognized her too. Oh, Lauren Lapkus, who had a fun like New Jersey accent. Mm-hmm. I thought that she was the only one that actually like kind of worked she, and then she's in Orange is the New Black she tells the story of Stingy Jack and it's on her sweater <laughs> like she's wearing this ugly Halloween sweater with all these like graphics on it and then she's telling the, the tale of Stingy Jack by showing different parts of her sweater that was the only moment in the film where I thought whoever wrote it had like a good idea um Wow, it was written, one of the writers was Todd Berger, and I remember really liking a film he made in 2012 called It's a Disaster, so oh. I don't know, and he's in the Happy Time Murders with, uh, what's her nuts? Happy Time Melissa Murder. McCarthy. Oh. Don't you remember where the Muppet murder movie? Oh, wow, I haven't thought of that since I watched it. I haven't either. Okay, the poor daughter, like, I don't... I'm not saying she's not a good actor. I think it was the dialogue and the direction. She's just like... Well, it's like she's so overtly earnest in every scene and every line. I just wanted to shut off the film. <laughs> every time. Yeah, and then she is kind of like a nerd, but also in science club. But then her... So the a big plot point between her and her dad is that he doesn't like Halloween because... When he was a kid, he went into the basement and saw some skeletons and got scared. So now he doesn't believe in anything paranormal, doesn't want to see anything. Poor, the, the poor daughter goes and buys a bat, like, like, like a fake bat, mm -hmm. to put on the front door of the house. The only decoration they have. And he tears that shit down mm -hmm. because he like, just doesn't like it. But the daughter resents him because she... He forces her to be in science club because Marlon's character is a science teacher mm -hmm. and can speak Latin. But really, she wanted to she wanted to start like a paranormal club, and then she actually meets the kids at her new school who are the paranormal club. So at one point, she gets on a Ouija board God. on her iPad. <sighs> that was so stupid. That was dumb. Like <laughs> ghost in the machine. The most frustrating part of the movie is that, like. Marlon Wayne's character refuses to believe that any of this supernatural stuff is happening, even though it's happening right in front of him. Mm -hmm. There's a moment when a bunch of plastic spiders turn to life and then a giant spider that's the size of like a mini Cooper mm -hmm. attacks him. He even comes up with like a formula to make acid mm -hmm. that they're spraying at the spiders. 
and also spraying at humans, mm-hmm. which is like, I don't understand how this is not killing and hurting everyone. And even after that, he's like, well, there's an explanation for everything that couldn't have been real. Then he's like, like zombie skeletons are attacking him and he is cutting them in half with a chainsaw. And then when he gets back in the car, he's still saying that it's not real. Mm -hmm. What would need to happen for him to realize it's real? Apparently nothing because the end of the film is Stingy Jack comes to life. Mm-hmm. And it's like 11.55. So they have like five minutes to cast him back to hell by saying a spell in Latin. And Stingy Jack has Kelly Rowland. Like he's about to take her with him to wherever he's going, which he's trying to take her through a portal. Yeah. Which confused me because I thought his whole purpose was to be here. I don't know. But anyway, even that, even this huge jack-o'-lantern trying to drag your wife into hell... He still doesn't believe because he's casting the spell and it's not working. And then the daughter in her great acting tells him, you have to truly believe. Now cast that friggin' spell. And then he says it like he means it. And then Stingy Jack like evaporates. Mm -hmm. But part of that, uh, Kelly Rowland was about to settle down comfortably with some of her own baked goods that she was going to eat. And then she combats Jack with a hard muffin. She actually, yeah, she actually is able to (laughs) fend off Stingy Jack for a minute by hitting him with a muffin. Um, There's a scene where they, so I went, I got to the end, but there's a scene prior to that where they have a seance and that's when they meet my big fat Greek wedding lady. Mm -hmm. And she explains like, you got to cast the spell. Mm -hmm. And then she's speaking through Marlon. Mm -hmm. So Marlon's talking like half him, half her. That shit was corny. Oh, and then John Michael Higgins is the principal who... He was cute-ish. He's out. Yeah, he's yeah. fine. Um, another thing that drove me crazy is while they're being chased by demons, while their wife is in... Like, while his wife is in danger, while his daughter's being... He's always trying to have a teachable moment. Yes, and it's like you're running for your life right now, aren't you? And then you want to stop and like... Oh my God! He likes to say pop quiz. What do you call? Are you serious? Like You're when, being chased. Well, while Jack has, or Stingy Jack has taken Kelly Rowland into the other room and closed the sliding doors, he's sitting there talking to his daughter about a life lesson. It's like, uh, yeah, like what? My overall thought was this movie wouldn't even make a decent episode of like like a Halloween episode of a shitty TV show. No, no, like it, it wouldn't even be good for that. It's outrageous how poorly written this is because it's actually well made enough. Like they had. Yeah, the production quality is fine. They have extras, they have good CGI, and then the story makes no sense. And Marlon Wayans couldn't be more flat. Yeah, it's. Well, everybody feels so limited by everything about it. But he's trying to be like, it's a comedy, and Mm -hmm. he's he's kind of acting like he should be funny. He's trying. He's trying to be zany, but it, yeah, it's it, it's just really bad. Um, it's I wor- should look up interview. Like, I wonder if he did press for this because it's worse than that one. That other one he did for Netflix, where he plays the is it sex tuplets? Oh shit! I forgot about that. Yeah, that's not very good either. Yeah, in twenty nineteen, he must have a Netflix deal because he also has that comedy special on Netflix where he was the host and he wasn't funny in that. Um, that's the one I think. 
Is that where he... Well, he has two Netflix specials. The one where he talks about his daughter being a lesbian. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the one where his lesbian daughter, who's a comedian, is actually part of the... Mm-hmm. Who I didn't think was that funny on... I've seen her in other places and she was funny, but not there. Yeah, I don't know if he lost his funny bone or... Maybe he's... Or maybe he resents the Netflix contract he has and so he's just trying to knock him out so he can be over with it. I don't know. I don't know, but... The, anyway, this, this was no Gouda. No Gouda. I would give it 0.5 out of 5. It's, it's garbage. Take it out and throw it away. And at the time of this recording, it's now number two. The number one film on Netflix today is... It's more garbage. The School for Good and Evil. Yeah. Which we reviewed and thought it was not great. Um, and number three is that uh, Mila Kunis film. Which we also didn't like. I, well, you, I mean, you... Uh, it was okay. Oh, that's right. You said it was okay. It, I mean, it has some things to talk about. I was reading that people are upset that there was not a trigger warning. Oh, God. It's like... Uh, trigger warning. Just put a trigger warning on life, then. Because like, every, t- like every corner I turn, I don't... Know. Did you read what the film is about? What do you need a warning about? Like, it's about a school shooting. Ugh. What 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 do you what paragraph that you would read ahead of time would possibly be like oh okay, and it's not like it just comes out of left field. There are hints about. Are you paying attention to the film? Shut it off if you're starting to get anxious and upset. Oh God, I hate that. I hate it. Well, uh, trigger warning. It's yeah. like that. Like oh, let's have you know a warning and. Uh, front of gone with the wind about how this is was made a different time and different to you know we treated people terribly it's like okay <laughs> uh i mean i'm not gonna say it's never appropriate to have a trigger warning i just think well when if you're it, watching a movie and not reading anything about it like you just saw a pretty poster and just press play like or the shit about people throwing up at uh terrifier terrifier 2, two it's like you know I don't. I don't know how to help you. It's like, do you go to a restaurant and you order shellfish and then you're allergic to it? Like, you should know ahead of time what you can consume. I think. I mean, I think there are a lot of films where there are subject when the, where, where there is subject matter that's buried that could be like shocking, and that's the function. And, yes, that is and, also the function. Yes. But I also feel like you know, I mean, I don't know because it's like. Yeah, it's how fragile are you going to let yourself be? I I don't know. I just well, I don't think I ever had the option to be that fragile in life, so I don't know. I don't want to seem insensitive. I just think that okay, so if the topic of whatever having an eating disorder is going to send you down a spiral, it's like well, even being told that there's going to be talk about it. I mean, I just don't know what the difference would be. I guess is why I think it's weird. Right, right. Like how, what, what check box, what box in your head do you be like, okay. If fireworks trigger you because your brother's hand got blown off when you were a kid, it's like, well, what if I tell you there are fireworks in the movie? Like, that's also going to upset. Like, it just, it just seems like maybe people need to find tools to manage through it. And it's also okay to turn a movie off. Yeah. It's also okay to stand up and walk out of a theater. Yeah. Like, it's okay to not subject yourself to things you don't like. Right. So I think that's, probably how I would respond to trigger warnings is like learning how to remove oneself from a situation that's not comfortable. It's or, a really great skill to have. It is. Or if it's a, if it's a toxic situation to you, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if it's toxic to you, then yes. What life skills have you learned to remove yourself? That life skills in the same chapter is learning how to say no. Yes. It's okay to say no. 
You don't have to do everything. Not and... not everything needs to be tailored for you or me or that that isn't how the world works. And the, I think the sooner like humanity at large realizes that, you know. <laughs> well, now I'm going on a rant. Anything else you want to say? No. Okay. Ta-ta. <laughs>